Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today I am delighted and honored to have with me a guest whose name you probably recognize, Dr. Nils Bergman. Dr. Bergman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Marie, for your kind words also. Dr. Bergman is an internationally recognized expert on perinatal uh, issues, most notably about kangaroo mother care, or some of you might refer to that as skin-to-skin care. And he is also very interested and has carried out studies that, here's a word you might not know, nurture science. Dr. Bergman was born in Sweden and raised in Zimbabwe. He received his medical degree at the University of Cape Town and later added a master's degree in public health and a doctoral degree from the University of Western Cape. He is a medical doctor, researcher, lecturer, author, and popular public speaker on these topics. Dr. Bergman has worked with Kangaroo Mother Care since 1988, and he has been on the International Network of Kangaroo Mother Care Steering Committee since its inception in 1996. He has a passion for sharing information about the most recent evidence-based medicine with health professionals and lay people alike. Dr. Bergman continues to live and work in Cape Town as a consulting public health physician, and he is an honorary research associate at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. So, I am delighted to tell you that the last time that we had Dr. Bergman on the show, we asked him, of course, about kangaroo mother care, which he has has devoted almost all of his career to. And so as he was leaving the show last time, he said to me, I would like to come on another time and talk about zero separation. And so knowing his interest in nurture science, I asked him if he would come on today and talk about those concepts. So Dr. Bergman, I'd like to start out with something that you and your wife Jill have published about, and that is you kind of started with a takeoff on the American Academy of Pediatrics policy. Uh, it, it was a statement called the early adversity, toxic stress, and role of the pediatrician translating developmental science into lifelong health. And then, of course, there was the accompanying uh statement about that as well from, uh, I I apologize if I mispronounce this author's name incorrectly, but I believe it's Shonskoff. They talked about this model, the eco-bio-developmental model. And as you nicely pointed out, there's the eco, the bio, and the developmental components to that. Can you explain to our listeners what that is? 
and why that's so important to understand from the standpoint of newborn care. Yes, indeed. So the ecology Ecology is defined as the relationships between organisms, note the plural, and Mm. its environment. And for the newborn, the two organisms are obvious, but what's not so obvious is that the environment of the mother is that for the infant. So the ecology, they're their own ecology, and the place matters. Only in mother's place does the biology work. The biology works on mother's sensations that fire and wire pass responses in the baby's brain. And development is about the baby's brain. So there in a nutshell is perhaps some of the things. The key part is that this development is very early and very permanent. And it's not necessarily a good automatically development, the development adapts to what it thinks is a bad thing happening to it. So an early bad environment will make early bad wiring. And this is adversity. That's what the whole, I think, summary is about. Adversity badly wires the newborn brain. So then, along the same lines, I heard you talking about the sensations. I think a lot of people believe that the fetus is uncommon and, uh, excuse me, unconscious, and that the newborn has no memory. Can you address that? Is that true? Is that a myth? Now, we don't actually have a good definition for consciousness, and we don't really understand memory either. But let me put it like this. The fetus uh, makes epigenetic changes in its DNA. And the DNA is a evolutionary or a millennial old memory. And so if the early environment is bad, the very guts, the very fabric of the body remembers. Yes, there's a memory. It may not be cortical memory. In fact, we know that this memory is limbic. It's emotional Uh, memory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And when we talk about consciousness, we've reached the cortex. But there's a great deal more of relevance, in fact, far more relevance happening below the cortex. So then, what about neuroplasticity? The neuroplasticity refers to early on that the plastic according to the environment, different pathways in the brain can happen. More usually we talk about neuroplasticity later in development when the pathway has developed and now it has to change. There is some capacity to change later and that's what people normally call neuroplasticity. But there's a prior neuroplasticity which is very, very, very profoundly direct. The first environment that we encounter is the plastic determinant. So if it's a good environment, that determines a different development, plasticity, than if it's a bad environment. That's immediate. Later neuroplasticity is slower and sluggish. Okay. 
I must say that uh, for many years, having been a labor and delivery nurse, I know all of these things that we do to the baby when the baby is first born. We whisk him away from his mother. It's gotten better now. It really has. But uh, certainly, in at least here in the United States, it kind of depends on where you are. Um, we are doing much more skin-to-skin contact. I'm sure you'll be happy to notice. But Thank we, <laughs> but thanks to your efforts, for sure. Uh, but also, we also do still continue to whisk babies away. And even if they were skin-to-skin con- in, in skin-to-skin contact with their mother for what I would consider to be a relatively short time, five or ten minutes, maybe 20, maybe 30, I am guessing that you're going to say that that is a very abbreviated amount of time. So mothers will sometimes ask me this. Well, how long should I be skin to skin with the baby after he's born? What would you say to that? Forever. Uh, (laughs) Well, I could answer slightly more seriously. Why why does the mother ask that question? I think I I can answer for you maybe. I will tell you that as a nurse, I am always very conscious of the fact that I have certain tasks I need to do, and I have certain documents that I need to complete, and so forth and so on. And so I suspect that it is the people who are in healthcare, the nurses, the doctors, whoever else is in attendance at that uh, uh, birth, that kind of give off the vibes, whether we mean to or not, that we're in a hurry. And as I look at my own career over many years, it seems to me that the interventions that we do are much more geared towards what we, the nurses or the doctors, need to get done as opposed to what would be the developmental tasks in that first hour or so. I'm not really sure how to explain it, but how would you explain it? I think you did very well. I think that's a fact. (laughs) We create the care culture. And so we're doing the mother a huge favor to let her have her baby for a short while. And, and, and so the mother gets her little bit of uh, fob her off almost. And we yes. get on with our really important business. And in the meantime, nobody actually advocates for what the baby needs. So this is the key part about kangaroo mother care is that it's not something nice. Uh, it's actually a fundamentally important part of the ecology, developmental biology that is necessary. And separation disrupts needed neural processes. Separation is defined as the absence of the buffering protection of adult support. That's what separation is. An absence of buffering protection of adult support is the definition of toxic stress. Toxic stress is changing the neuroplasticity that you asked about to make more sensitiveness to cortisol, to keep cortisol higher in the body. And now we get a permanently higher cortisol to cope with a bad world. And so we're doing a huge disservice to babies, telling them, The world that you're living in is a bad one. Get ready for it. Yes. Yes. Now, we think our care is so good. 
all we do in our care services, which is what you were describing as a labor and delivery nurse, is to make sure that there are no risks. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. how much actual work do we do to support that there's enhancement of health, risk reduction and uh, legal litigation are the two issues we're concerned about. How much do we actually do to enhance health? <laughs> uh, yes. Think about that. Yes. And therefore, this is what I've also come, uh, the zero separation. You do this one thing and you have profoundly enhanced developmental outcome. You have restored the ecology. You have restored the biology that's taking place in that ecosystem and that ecosystem is reassuring that infant this is a good world you can spend the time that you need to develop a good iq to good emotional intelligence that you can be safe and you can have what's called resilience mm. Mm. so resilience is a key developmental end point And it requires that you have lots of cortisol receptors that take cortisol out of the system when you've been stressed. But if you have stress early in life, then those cortisol receptors uh, are switched off and you keep your cortisol high for the rest of your life. So, Dr. Bergman, I'm really curious now. Are you saying that this separation shortly after birth could have a lifetime effect? Yes. Oh, my. Yes. Oh, dear. Sorry. Ah, yes. <laughs> that, that, is, that is very frightening. Uh, and, only- and therefore, I think the zero separation is an imperative. It's a public yes. health imperative. It really matters how we're born. It really matters that we support the expectedness. There's a particular mother sensations that are needed at particular times. These are called critical periods, windows of opportunity, when a specific connection is being made in the brain, when a specific gene is being activated or not. That's interesting because I'm thinking back to Drs. Kettle and Kloss, uh, maybe from about 1972 or so, when they talked about that critical period. So how are you defining a critical period? Actually, excuse me, no, Kettle and Kloss called it a sensitive period. You're calling it a critical period. So how would you define critical period? I think Kendall and Klaus are icons and uh, should be knighted. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and they were sensitive to their local colleagues. Yes. I'm insensitive to the colleagues. We need to understand that sensitive is not enough. Okay. Critical matters. Okay. And I assume you're thinking it's more than just that first hour. So the first hour is obviously where we start. So we refer to kangaroo mother care as initiation. And we're doing a very big project at the moment with the WHO funded by the Belinda Gates Foundation, which is called Immediate KMC. Oh, I love it. But immediate is not enough to answer your question. Immediate requires that it's followed by continuous. And in this study, We're providing research support 
to provide 20 hours a day for oh, three my. full days as a minimum. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. So that's the answer from a purely research point of view. 20 hours a day is our target. And uh, particularly uh, the baby, what we're seeing is that six hours is what's necessary for its heart, its lungs, and its glucose control systems to Mm, activate. mm -hmm. Oh, I distinctly remember that study that you did. I'm thinking around 2004 or so where you talked, uh, am I right? Yeah, Uh, with the the six hours. So when I saw that in a recent article, I was thinking it appeared to me that – from the two studies, I gathered that the six hours was a minimum. Is that what you're trying to say? Thank you. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. But good. From uh, a purely science point of view, it, the mother's brain has mm-hmm. neuroplasticity in the first 20 hours. 20 hours. And this okay. is what is called the fir- what we are calling the first thousand minutes. The first thousand days is all very well, but it's the first thousand minutes that matter most. From the mother's standpoint, hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I am your host for Born to be Breastfed. I will be right back, I promise, with the very interesting uh, Dr. Nils Bergman. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I am here today with Dr. Nels Bergman. Dr. Bergman, before we went to break, we were talking about what I guess would be the baby aspect of separation or lack of separation. But you left off by giving us a little bit of insight about the mother, and you talked about the first 1,000 minutes. What is that? 1,000 minutes about from the mother's perspective, and how is this continuous care so important? So the continuous care is specifically not so much care as contact. Contact. I beg your pardon, yes. Very good. Very good. And and so for the baby, there's specific changes that are taking place, and the baby's got nothing else to do except get ready (laughs) for that. The mother... Uh, comes to this uh, with a long history, uh, some baggage, uh, some preparation or not. And now her entire brain needs to recalibrate itself to mothering. Now, there are parenting systems in the brain and everybody knows about oxytocin. Oh, yes. And uh, Now, to make oxytocin win over cortisol, it has to connect to dopamine. Mm. Dopamine is the reward hormone. Uh, People often use it as the addiction hormone because cocaine works on the same center as (laughs) as dopamine. But actually, at root source, biologically, dopamine is first a parenting hormone. Really? When dopamine and oxytocin connect, we get resilience. We also get mothers who read their babies' minds. Oh, yes. We also have serotonin systems, which are controlling mood and sleep. We also have endorphin systems, which control pain and and, and tiredness, cholecystokinin system, prolactin system, uh, adrenaline, catecholamine systems. Hey, there's a whole symphonic concert orchestra Mm, that we mm. have to tune and this Mm. tuning of all of these systems takes 20 hours 20 hours which is thousand minutes it's about 16.6666 hours if you want to look at your uh, clock (laughs) your clock okay it's never clock the baby has a day Uh, it's the first day the first thousand minutes now the mother 
needs uninterrupted skin-to-skin contact with her baby for the baby's smell to work its magic, Mm, for the baby's uh movements, sounds to be imprinted on her circuits. uh, And all of these things require zero separation, yes, for the baby, but equally for the mother. And so when the baby and the mother are connected, we have a neurological definition of nurture. Nurture Mm. science. It's much, much more than neuroscience. It precedes neuroscience. It creates neuroscience. In the baby's brain, it's mother's nurture that is the source of development that will make a good neuroscientist in adult life. As I'm hearing you talk I'm thinking about a day when I was teaching my comprehensive lactation course and we were talking about skin-to-skin care and someone in the back raised her hand and she said, so Marie, are you sort of saying that skin-to-skin contact outside of the mother's body is sort of like what the baby was experiencing on the inside, only this time the baby's just on the outside of the body? And I thought about it for a moment and I thought, well, yeah, I guess so, because the baby would be having her warmth, he would be hearing her heartbeat and so forth. Is that a reasonable conclusion for the nurse to draw there? Absolutely. Very good. Okay. Okay. I was also thinking, as you were talking just now, you mentioned about smells. And this is a piece of research that I usually do not hear or see in the circles where I walk. But uh, some years ago, I want to say it was like late 70s, maybe the early 80s, when Dr. Verendi and his colleague looked at the smells. And I was thinking to myself, if the baby is motivated by the smell, he's going to smell his mother's body, his mother's underarm sweat, which we know that he likes. Uh, he's going to smell his mother's milk, which presumably is going to be like the mother's amniotic fluid and so forth. And so as you talk about this whole, I loved your analogy about the orchestra. And I'm thinking, ooh, 20, 20 hours, to uh, no, 16 hours, you said, to get in tune, right? Uh Wonderful analogy. But anyway, do all of these sensory issues uh, form in that time? The platform for firing systems is waiting for all of those sensations. Mm. Every single sensation is in highest pitch and awakeness at birth, especially after vaginal birth, because the vaginal distension causes the Ferguson reflex, causes the oxytocin, causes also adrenaline and norepinephrine, we call it in your country. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but coming back to smell, you mentioned, uh, more recent researchers, Benoist, Skull, and and others, Doucet, have shown that the smell that really pulls the baby comes from the nipple, not the right. breast milk, not the colostrum, but the areola glands. And this specifically makes a smell that is almost identical to the amniotic fluid. So when the baby smells that specifically, it says, ah, I can just continue. 
Ooh, I've got to learn how to stay warm. Never mind, my mom is helping me. Ooh, I've got to breathe. <laughs> That's hard work. No, no, it's quite easy. Ooh, but in the meantime, I'm safe. So, so the smell is controlling the state organization, is activating the approachness to the mother. Opening the eyes comes from opening of the particular frontal cortex to the limbic brain, to the fusiform gyrus, to look for the eyes. And there's a circuit that we know exactly how it works that makes approach initiated by smell. Mm. That is so, it makes me worry that we wash down the babies too soon and we wash down the mothers too soon. We, we don't wash any babies or the mothers should have a bath because they've been sweating hard, but we never wash our babies anymore. Oh, really? And, and, no, um, no, no, re- no, no, Review no. us. Review no, us. No. You are still in Cape Town, right? <laughs> I, I'm in Sweden. We don't oh, wash babies Sweden. here either. Oh, okay. I, I would admit when I got your recent bio, I thought, oh, dear, I'm not exactly sure where he is. But anyway, okay. I'm between the so, two. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> okay. You mentioned also um, oxytocin. Yes. And you mentioned a lot of hormones, actually. So that brings me to a wonderful spot to be able to ask you. We have a very high oxytocin induction rate. Uh, the trade name here is Pitocin, so Pitocin induction. How does this figure into this orchestra of all of these hormones to be in tune? I, I would think that it would interfere, yes? Yes. So the Pitocin itself is identical to biological oxytocin. Mm-hmm. But oxytocin is a messenger from the brain. And the brain is sending messages according to its programs, its expectations, its needs. And when oxytocin comes from somewhere else, it confuses the brain. It didn't yes. send that message. It was right. sending another message. Right. And, and so oxytocin can force the brain to do something that it doesn't want to do. So, so yes, what we do know that Pitocin does, it's not pulsatile. It's given continuously. Continuously, and right. So it floods the receptors, right. and tomorrow and the next day, there's decreased breastfeeding as a direct result. There's decreased oxytocin pulsing release when the baby suckles. And recently, there's evidence at one year of age, there's a 36% increase in depression, not postpartum blues, not postpartum depression. At one year later, depression is increased. Well, as I hear you talking about that, I'm thinking we have what seems to me like an epidemic of postpartum depression here in the United States. You've applied for it. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yes. (laughs) Well, well, I guess I have just always been of the opinion. I saw so many interventions done in labor and delivery, and it just felt wrong to me, even before I knew the evidence, even before we had the evidence, even before I really knew much about being a labor and delivery nurse. It just felt like that's an awful lot of 
intervention to do to a woman. It did not feel like it should be normal. And I, you know, I'm always very fascinated with etymology. That is uh, the the origin of words. And I realized that the word obstetrics comes from the word obstet, which means to stand by. It doesn't mean to stand in the way. And somehow mm-hmm. I felt like we were always getting in the way of the baby and his mother having a normal experience. And so often when we talk about bonding, at least from where I sit, it always seems like it's sort of this real nice fluffy thing that that happens and it's lovely and all of that. But as we all hear you talking, it seems to me like you are painting that in the context of the baby feeling safe, of the baby having a trusting relationship, yes? Yes. Yes. So let me elaborate a little bit. It's very, very important that the baby feels safe. And it's equally important that the mother feels safe. That's what the doula accomplishes. Mm. And unless you feel safe, cortisol is going to stop the oxytocin from doing its work. However, the mother must also be safe. That's the role of the midwife. The baby must also be safe, the fetus. And so I'm not advocating anti-obstetrics at all. I loved doing obstetrics. And and a cesarean section in the right moment is a wonderful thing. Absolutely, yes. And and, and an epidural at the right time is a wonderful thing. So we have these tools that can be wonderfully supportive to mothers and babies and improve outcomes. But when we use them at the wrong time, they may do more harm than good. That's good. I would totally agree. Uh, well, it's like pretty much anything in life when we use a good thing for the wrong purpose. Dr. Bergman, also, uh, I've noticed that you, as well as the World Health Organization, advocate for the mother providing colostrum to her baby, even if she does, even if she's already said she does not want to breastfeed. So, can you talk about that? The Convention for the Rights of the Child says that the best interests of the child are paramount. Mm. What we now know, colostrum is so fundamentally important that it is paramount. It matters more. The need for colostrum is greater than the mother's wishes. Uh, She would totally agree if she understood that. But it's not her wishes. Human rights refers to the best interests of the child. There's no doubt that colostrum is necessary, is in the best interests of the child. Now, not only is it then available, it's in the first hour. There's a large amount of colostrum available, and it's using that, which is the work we're doing in our study in the World Health Organization. Yes. Mm. And yet so often I have seen mothers, well, I I distinctly remember the first time a mother said to me, is it okay if I breastfeed now? And I'm thinking, oh dear, where have we missed the boat? Why is it that a mother feels that she needs to ask me? Of course, that was a wonderful learning opportunity for me because after that I realized I needed to help women to understand that they don't need my permission. Uh, But uh, certainly 
Yes, that is so important from a variety of standpoints, which I'm sure we could spend the next week talking about. Uh, But do you get, I know that you live in a very different culture, but do you get resistance from mothers who say, no, 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 you don't understand. I didn't want to breastfeed. Are they still willing to provide the colostrum? Uh, this is a thorny issue, and uh-huh. uh, we, 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 we're not naive about that. Okay. Uh, and when we talk to mothers and explain them to this, we, uh, and they understand. And if we take the time to explain to them, not just at that point, but previously, very seldom do mothers say, I don't want the best for my child, and I believe. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so uh, there are situations, drugs, Toxic medicines. Sure. sure. Uh, so so uh, when we ourselves would say, mm, let's be a bit careful here. So we're not naive about it. I think what I hear you saying is that preparation of the mother well before the birth event is more likely to get her on board. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh huh. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I am here today with uh, internationally recognized expert, Dr. Nils Bergman. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life 
of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Nils Bergman. Dr. Bergman, you talked with us about that thousand minutes from the mother's standpoint. Before, in the earliest segment today, you talked about uh, the adaptation from the baby's standpoint. What could you tell us about the father? So the father has been forgotten in the situation, in the story. Uh, What we know about the father is that the brain circuits of fathers are identical to mothers. This is quite unusual in nature. Mm. What is different, of course, is the hormones that make those circuits work the way they do. Now, when it comes to birth, the period, for the father to get his, he's a, he's a solo instrument orchestra. He only has one single connection to be made. He okay. needs to connect his oxytocin system, which is his social brain, to his dopamine system. And that takes only 30 minutes. Oh, my. So, but it can only be done in the first few hours. I haven't measured how many hours it lasts. I have measured in the mothers. I have measured in babies. And so somewhere in the first two or three hours when the mother needs a shower or something, dad should do skin-to-skin contact for 30 minutes. And you will see how profoundly altered such fathers are. So you're saying there is a very short window of time for the father to have this, I use this word loosely, but transformation, yes? Good word. Okay. But but there's a, there's a small window, Dr. Bergman, yes? Yes, it is a window, a, a narrow window. A narrow window. In All mothers, right. I know it's 20 hours, 24 hours. It's been measured in brains. It's been measured by Anne Bigelow. It's been measured in other contexts. Uh, I've shown in research that I've done that there is a dopamine surge mm-hmm. when you start skin to skin. It's not there when the father is present at the birth. It's not there when he sees his baby for the first time. It kicks in 
when he has skin-to-skin contact. And there's a surge of dopamine. So, uh, and, and in the pilot test that I was doing, I, I looked for it at three hours, two hours. So, I don't know how long it lasts and how long it's sensitive. But, but, but certainly we know just from observations, if you do it tomorrow, it's too late. Too late. I'm presuming that you're measuring the dopamine in blood levels. You're doing a lab test here? I'm actually doing an indirect test. I'm measuring it through prolactin. Oh. Uh, prolactin is a hormone that's cheap and yeah. easy to measure. Oh. <laughs> uh, dopamine <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> doesn't leave the brain. It stays inside the brain. Oh, but I see. Okay. Dopamine is the antagonist to prolactin. Right, 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 right. Mm. Okay, so that would that would certainly make sense. Uh, <laughs> along the same lines, when we talk about this 20 hours, when we talk about the mother, at least here in the U.S., there is this big idea that the baby is better off in the nursery and we still have central nurseries because we tell the mother you need to get your rest you need to get your sleep what can you say about that yes this is how we were taught this is what our professors and grandmothers taught us and we never questioned what was behind it actually mothers don't sleep they're anxious babies don't sleep they dissociate and so uh, no babies sleep better on their mothers mothers who have their babies on them sleep better now before anybody raises their heckles those mothers and babies should never be alone sure we were never intended to be alone aloneness is a stress to the human being and so what we've developed in our work with kangaroo mother care is that the doula should continue and be a kangaroo doula, a kangaroola. That is a wonderful word. And I'm thinking that maybe you and Mrs. Bergman coined that term, am I right? Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and this is actually a very practical way of enhancing health, not just risk reduction, but health enhancement. And so the kangaroola is trained to know what is risks and how these are addressed and prevented without also then distracting from the necessary healthy processes, the needed neural processes that are taking place in the brain. And so the kangaroola makes the mother feel safe and the baby feels safe and helps the midwife to make sure that they are are safe. safe. Yes. Yes. Yes, you've said a couple of times that that <laughs> feeling safe is important, but being yes. safe is important as well, yes. certainly. Yes. Yes. And uh tell us more if you would please about the kinds of consequences that and, and I know this could be either a very long discussion or a very detailed discussion, but uh, take as much time as you need to tell us what are the the consequences of interrupting this skin to skin contact in those first many hours. So, a, a very key outcome of those hours. A, We can talk about physiology, about the heart rate, the breathing, uh, temperature, the glucose, those are important. Uh, We can talk about 
the temperature. But the most important thing of all when the baby's born is a surprising thing, is emotion connection. It's the connecting of the sensory systems to the amygdala. The amygdala is the emotional emotional seat. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and that's where all information goes through. Smell goes to the amygdala before it goes anywhere else. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And so the emotion is the first connection. And from the emotion connection goes to the social brain. So emotionality and sociality. These are the most important things and they are interrupted if there isn't continuous skin-to-skin contact. So you will get a perfectly good survivor. You will get a perfectly good baby that breathes and eats and does everything that it should do, but you've deprived it of its essential, powerful, profound humanity, the capacity for emotional, social intelligence. So this is the key thing. Emotion connection between mother and baby is the fabric of nurturing. And Mm -hmm. it's the nurturing which needs to begin at birth. Breastfeeding is a part of that. Caring is a part of that. Playing is a part of that. (laughs) Nurture. Nurture science. Dr. Bergman, do we have any long-term studies on people who have uh, severe psychological debilitation? Uh, And I'm talking about more than just postpartum depression, but uh, people who have some sort of psychosis. uh, Has has any of that ever been related to the lack of skin-to-skin contact? No, because nobody asked the question in that way. But let me bring you back to a detail. Okay. Uh, a very interesting fact, psychopaths in penitentiaries, the majority of them have no sense of smell. Really? There you go. And that smell was necessary to make this connection between the amygdala emotional brain and the social brain. Oh. That is very amazing. And yet, uh, well, uh, for those of you who have been listening for any amount of time, midwife Mark Harris was uh, here, I want to say about two years ago, and he talked about the amygdala as related to the labor process. And it was absolutely just (laughs) some fascinating information. And so I think that we really need to understand how this emotional piece really plays into something because Dr. Bergman is basically telling us, yes, the baby can do the physical tasks, but there's something much more here that we really need to have a grip on. Dr. Bergman, we have only a few minutes left, but before we go today, I would just like to give you the floor for what else is it that you really want to communicate to either the parent or to the healthcare professional that you feel is so critical to our being able to do our jobs as either a parent or a professional? Oh, that's a big open-ended question. (laughs) But perhaps summarizing what we've been through, Keeping mothers and babies together is just intuitive. 
But intuitive never had a science to it, never had a reason for it. And the legal risk reduction imperative took away our logical minds. Mm. And then you refer to this whisked away. Yes. And there is a melancholic sound to it. Even when you said it in the beginning of the show, go back and listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) And and we've accepted that in our culture. It's totally unacceptable. And therefore, zero separation. And with that, what was missing and which is now available to us, we didn't know about microbiota. We didn't know about epigenetics. We Mm. didn't know about the brain connectome. There's a whole set of sciences, disciplines, that help us understand that there's a critical period at birth and that zero separation. And now whisked away, is the antithesis of nurturing. Nurturing isn't just nice and fluffy and and, 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 and okay for for, for those who are back to nature kind of people. It's fundamentally defining for humanity. And so nurture science is about bringing together all of this and, and doing what mothers would naturally have done. But after a thousand years of living in cities, and a hundred years of living in technology, mothers need some support and help to, to do what they know is right because they've been confused by knowledge that others have given them that hasn't to do with their own biology. Mm. It is as though we need to help them rethink what is normal. And so providing this information, thank you, Marie, for inviting me on your show, <laughs> uh, reaching it to the mothers, preparing them beforehand that they know what's involved uh, yes. and, and, and that this is a wonderful experience uh, and, and it can be made very wonderful, requires a birth companion of some kind mm, and requires that the mother is never alone for the first thousand minutes uh, of the mm. baby's life and that they have the support and that the father is closely involved and, and the family soon thereafter in the beginning, mother and a bit of father, and soon some more family. Mm. That uh, it's really hard for me to even make a response because I'm thinking about the many births that I've seen, and uh, all of that just stirs up in me something that I I really I can't even describe, uh, Dr. Bergman. Tell us uh, also, please, I know that one of your websites is kangaroomothercare.com. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I believe the other one is ninobirth.org. Am I correct? Yes, thank you. On both of those. And do you still have available videotapes, et cetera, et cetera, that can be purchased by parents or providers? Yes. And there's also another third website, uh, which is skin numeral two skin contact ah, right. dot com forgot, forgot about that yes skin two the numerals two skin uh, dot com yes absolutely and uh, do you have a book out yet uh, my wife has written a book called hold your prem oh and yes she's mm-hmm. writing a book uh, two books in fact one about the kangaroola and another about the Hold your baby for full-term babies. 
but both of us are very busy with this research project right now. So, so it's uh, don't hold your breaths; it's coming. <laughs> uh, I know that you spoke a little bit about that earlier today. Uh, what is the timeline for when? And it's the World Health Organization, I believe you said. Uh, what is the timeline for when that will be completed? Midway through next year, probably. Okay. And so for those of you who are listening, believe me, uh, it, it would be hard to imagine that you, there was not something that you could learn from Dr. Nils Bergman, who has been my guest today. I'm hoping that you will go back and listen to another uh uh, show that we did, I want to say, I think it was two years, maybe three years ago, just about this time, because of course, it uh, coincides with uh, Kangaroo Mother Care Day. And uh, certainly he's got more to come. As I told him last time, he is always welcome to pull up a chair at my virtual table here. <laughs> and uh, certainly, I would like to uh, encourage all of you to read and comprehend and listen to everything Dr. Bergman has to say. He has been, in my opinion, one of the most influential people in the life of a newborn family of anybody on the planet as far as I know uh, so thank you Dr. Nils Bergman thank you for being with us today thank you very much indeed and for those of you who are wondering yes there's more to come and every week we will have a show about breastfeeding and beyond and what I'd like you to remember is I'm Marie Biancuto but your baby was born to be breastfed have a great week Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.